Welcome to the Sand Hills Media Ministry. We hope this production encourages and challenges you to live a more Christ-centered life. Welcome back to the Sand Hills Podcast for Season 4, Episode 4, where we get to have Pastor Jeff Philpott back on the show to talk about the misconceptions of hell. Now, you might be thinking, well, didn't Malcolm just talk about that in Episode 3? Yes, we talked about the concept of why people go to hell, how God, uh, is is he sending them there, or is it what we deserve? So we talked about that. If you haven't listened to it or seen it, go back, check it out. It's a great one to start with before coming into this conversation, which is the misconception around hell of that it's filled with the fun people, the partying people, and that heaven is filled with the boring, lame people sitting on clouds playing harps and or lutes for eternity. And so this is a great conversation about the misconceptions of what makes up hell, the people there, and how it plays out, what we see in Scripture. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it's as edifying for you as it was for us. Uh, C.S. Lewis, again, who I love, Mm -hmm. had this great quote, and I'm going to have to paraphrase it because I can't remember it exactly, but he said something like this, that, that sin is man's way of saying to God, go away and leave me alone. Mm. And that hell is God's way of saying to man, you may have your wish. No, the only time you're really going to be free and fulfilled is when, as a created being, you begin to walk in the way that he's created you to operate. But what you do need to do is just be a faithful representation of what you believe. Live it, live it boldly, don't hedge on anything, and just simply be who you are for the sake of Christ and the gospel and the church. And don't think about it in terms of like, did I make sure that they understood that I think they're wrong? In every generation, we need to evangelize the church. There is no Christian culture. Christianity is the message of God's Son sacrificed on the cross for our salvation. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, are we going to choose him or not? And I often tell people, people don't leave church because of God. Mm -hmm. They leave because of other people. All right, Jeff, welcome back to the show. Hey, glad thanks, to be here. Thanks for being here. This is a pretty, it's, it's, it is a, a conversation that I think is hard to have but should be had often because the misconception is so prevalent. And that misconception is the idea that hell is where all the fun people are. Mm. It's where the parties are. Sure. Um, and if you're lame, you go to heaven because mm. okay, that's where you just sit on a cloud mm-hmm. for eternity. Yeah. And you play a harp. I yeah. have no training as, in the harp. As the Bible says. As scripture, <laughs> as our Lord intended. Yeah. And I think that that misconception, that's something I grew up hearing a lot, whether it be in, you know, cartoons, shows, movies, mm-hmm. cartoons, you know, back when I read the newspaper that came in the mail. That's a very old fashioned sense. What is that newspaper? What is that? You're telling me you got your memes in the mail? <laughs> yes, there was a they time. They used to print off the internet and <laughs> deliver it to your home? And then you had to read them. And you had to laugh um, because someone's dog was always getting into trouble. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) What a great entry into the conversation of hell. Yes. And so this is something that I I think we should talk about. Have you heard about that misconception? I have. You know, there's so many misconceptions. Obviously, that's one of them. Another, you know, is that Satan runs hell Mm. or that a loving God would never send people to hell or that somehow it's unfair for anybody to go to hell, when in fact it's actually the opposite. That hell right. is the most fair consequence for any human being. It's heaven that is mm. the most unfair, that that nobody deserves to be there, and yet people get in who shouldn't go. And so mm. 
that would be a more fun conversation. But I would yeah. even say, and I would say this, I was going to talk about this a little bit later too, you know, that hell is a place where all the fun people are. That actually may be somewhat true. I mean, there may mm. be an element of truth from our perspective. It yeah. also may be a place where a lot of good people are, which mm. also would be a statement that would be reflected by how we use those words in our, um, in our culture. Uh, but we have different meanings than God does. And so our definitions of good and loving and even f- the ideas of fairness yeah. are all different when it comes to how God views that. But yeah, I've heard that myth before. And wh- where have you seen it? As you, I mean, you've, you know, grew up through the 80s and 90s, and I just, you know, grew up through the mid-2000s. Sure. And so, I mean, I've seen it in very different places. Where where did you see it the most as you kind of came into Christianity? Okay, so growing up, I loved the far side. Mm. And uh, I would get a lot of my ideas of hell from the far side, which, you know... <laughs> I still remember this one where there's this scene of uh, Satan is ushering this guy into this room full of banjo players. And he turns <laughs> and he says, this is your room, maestro. That's <laughs> just such a great picture. Uh, but yeah, so there's, uh, I think, a lot of that kind of stuff. So really, yeah. if you want to go back. So um, Dante had written this book called The Divine Comedy, which, by the way, is not funny at all. Uh, <laughs> I read it. It's terrible. <laughs> it's horrible. I kept waiting for the funny parts. There was nothing in it. That's why they haven't made it to a movie. Um, so, uh, And that was like back in the 1300s. And, mm-hmm. But here's the thing. So he had these views of hell and these levels of hell that he articulated right. in his book. And that was really adopted into medieval culture. And, and then from that comes this uh, perspective of what the devil looks like, uh, like in medieval mm. times, this, this goat man with the pitchfork and the right. forked tail and the, the goat horns on his head. Uh, but see, all of that kind of stuff has actually filtered down to our generation. So mm-hmm. <laughs> really, you can go back to Dante's Divine Comedy. It yeah. probably created even some of the myths that we perpetuate here. And they come in all sorts of ways. They can be just in pop culture. Uh, horror movies are another one where... Mm. Uh, uh, Satan and demons have this unbelievable power, and Christians are are, are weak in front of them and uh, mm. easily uh, mastered and, and taken over. And none of that is actually true. Another one is um, near-death experience books. Um, and actually, oh, if yeah. you're looking for on the internet, if you do NDE books, uh, near-death experience books, you'll find a whole bunch of, of those. Wow. What, what's always funny to me in those, and whether they talk about heaven or hell, and by the way, just as a, as a note to our listeners— don't ever read a near-death experience book. Just don't ever. They are so bad and so unbiblical. I mean, that's just <laughs> categorical. I would just say they like. But don't they give us insight to the? No, no. They are people making money, and um. And, but one of the best things is when you pick up one of those books and you just see how unbiblical they mm. are. Uh, and we could talk some about some of that later. But um, and I don't even want to say the name of the book because I don't want anybody to look it up. But there was this <laughs> book I read that somebody gave me like, oh, you got to read this. This guy was taken to hell and given a picture of it. And came back. Wow. And it was the. It was the. Dante's Inferno hell, where Satan and his demons are running hell, they're is. chasing people around, they're attacking them, they're torturing them, um, and we haven't yet gotten to what hell really is, but mm-hmm. uh, Satan doesn't run hell, he's a prisoner. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, that is, you know, that right there is just, you know, one of the biggest myths. Yeah, and I was thinking of the far side when I was talking about those cartoons. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because I, I always that. just think of the concierge, and he's got <laughs> the pitchfork, and he's like, yes, you're over here, you know, and he's like, <laughs> and it's, it, we, we've allowed these things to, to even in the church and to some degree view how we discuss and talk, talk about hell. And that's something that I've always really enjoyed about Sandhills is growing up, you know, that's something we would focus on right. that we would have, you know, a heaven Sunday and a hell Sunday where right. it's like, let's talk about what, because you go through the entirety of scripture because it comes up a that's fair right. amount. That's right. We Let's take what scripture says throughout all of scripture and really spend some time talking about this. I'm happy we get a, a flavor of this yeah. today. Yeah. Um, but that's something that Malcolm and I talked about yesterday was the misconception of what's just 
mm-hmm. and unjust, what's fair and unfair. Right. And we kind of talked about the idea that, you know, God is just like this jealous boyfriend. And if you don't love him back, he just throws you to hell. Right. You know, like, right. you don't love me back? How dare you? No. Um, and you kind of talked about that right at the beginning where you said even that is a misconception of right. how that works. And so what do you think about that and how this plays into the conversation? So, okay, so there's a couple of things I would like to do. For, let me read a couple of quotes first. And yeah, then, please. And then go back to this idea of the fairness of God. Uh, so let me put on my 51-year-old glasses. Um Okay, so Wayne Grudem wrote this book called Christian Beliefs, and in this book I love what he says. He says, The Bible's descriptions of hell are difficult to read, and they should be deeply disturbing to us. Although it's hard to think about, the doctrine of hell is so clearly taught in Scripture that there does not seem to be any acceptable way to deny it and still be subject to God's Word. And then uh, one of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, in his book The Problem of Pain, he says Mm -hmm. this, Our Lord speaks of hell under three symbols. First, that of punishment. Second, that of destruction. And thirdly, that of privation or exclusion or banishment into the darkness outside, as in the parables of the man without a wedding garment or the wise and the foolish virgins. Mm. The prevalent image of fire is significant because it combines the idea of torment and destruction. Now, it's quite certain that all these expressions are intended to suggest something unspeakably horrible, and any interpretation which does not face that fact is, I am afraid, out of court from the beginning. Mm. And so, you know, he knew how to talk. Oh, he did. (laughs) That was a sharp dude right there. Yeah, so... Back to the idea of the fairness and unfairness of God. So this idea of, and this is what I think some people wrestle with, is hell from a human's perspective seems unfair. Mm. And you can articulate a number of reasons for it, but one that I've heard is, you know, how is it fair of God to condemn someone eternally for a uh, a temporary offense? That is, you, know, mm. you, you do one small offense and now you suffer forever. But see, here's the thing, that that's how we view it. But you have to understand that when you rebel against an eternal being, your offense is your offense is eternal, uh, and the consequence is eternal. And so this is where it's like, oh well, you're just thinking about it from your perspective. Mm. You have to get into the. It's like me saying that when I speed down the road, I shouldn't be pulled over for that because it's really not that big a deal, you know. And the policeman's like, well, we establish the laws, you don't. So mm. um, you here's suffer. Take yeah, here's, yeah. So <laughs> like the the policeman doesn't go, oh, I didn't think. You, you didn't think that's fair. I'm sorry. I didn't know, you know, mm. so, and that's the same thing. And people do that with God all the time. Just like, why, why would he do that? Like, oh, I see for your, that's from your perspective, but mm. reality and the reality of God's law is this. And I, here's what I would say is that when you study scripture, you find out that, that, that hell is a just consequence, especially because, um, as, as scripture tells us that, that it is not God's desire that anyone go to hell. Mm. And that is why he is patient with us and he gives us time and uh, he allows time to go on. Um, and that many people get to live a long life because he's <laughs> he's trusting, he's hoping mm. that we will repent of our sin and put our faith in Christ. But, you know, so far, you know, we, we haven't seen a mass uh, turning to the Lord yet. So, mm. you know. So what is hell then and why does it exist? You know, so if, we're, if we've established that it is a misconception that it is, you know, this place that Satan runs and that his demons are the, um, you know, wait staff, if you will, yeah. as, as they go through there. Um, what is it? Why does it exist? How did, you know, has it always been there? Will it always be there? What does scripture say about those things? Sure. No, that's good. So um, a few things that I would say about hell. So uh, to get beyond the myth, hell is not a place run by Satan. It's not his prison. Hell is a prison created by and run by God. Mm. It's a place of um, conscious eternal torment, as the scripture describes, uh, with various imagery from, you know, darkness to to flames to uh, the gnashing of teeth uh, to the pain and the suffering, the anguish that goes on there. Um, 
but it, but it's just it's a it's a just mm-hmm. sentence. And so if you think about it in that way, hell is the sentence for the person that was found guilty. So just like in our legal system, mm-hmm. you stand before the judge, he pronounces your sentence. You know, like you have been found guilty of this, therefore you'll be sentenced mm-hmm. to this. Uh, an example of that might show up in Matthew twenty five, where we see the judgment of the sheep and the goats. Um, and then it says where he turns to those on his left and he says, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And then the goes on to say, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And mm-hmm. it's the eternal punishment. That is, this is a, this is a, uh, eternal consequence for the eternal sin that you committed uh, against the Lord. You know, it's funny because, well, not funny. I guess nothing about this is funny, but uh, C.S. Lewis, again, who I love, mm-hmm. had this great quote, and I'm going to have to paraphrase it because I can't remember it exactly, but he said something like this, that, that sin is man's way of saying to God, go away and leave me alone, mm. and that hell is God's way of saying to man, you may have your wish. Mm. And I just think that's just such a powerful uh, thought there that, you know, you go through life rebelling, and uh, and you're like, I don't want anything to do with you. And then when judgment comes, um, you have nothing to do with him. Uh, you're, you are, yeah. you are driven from him. I, do, I always direct people, too, to Luke 16, which I love. So in Luke 16, you see this, um, this story of a rich man and Lazarus. Mm. And the interesting thing is it shows up in, like, a sequence of parables. But it's never actually explicitly called a parable. And I actually wonder if it might be a real story and not a parable because you've actually got the use of a proper name. Real names, um, yeah. Yeah, you've got real names being used there. And it doesn't seem to have kind of the, um, I don't know, the the style of, of other parables. Uh, it doesn't seem vague. It doesn't. It seems, it seems very specific. Very specific. And it, there's some interesting things to note from that story. Like, like the idea that, first of all, the man who's suffering, he literally is uh, is is overheated, uh, is physically tormented and is begging that somebody come just with one drop of water to put on his tongue. And you want to talk about a picture of anguish. Um, Jeez. I mean, this is legitimately an anguish. But but notice something else about the man in that story. He's not begging to be released as though this is unfair. Like, he, he seems to be resigned to, I, you know, I deserve this. This is my sentence. Mm. Um, and so his concern is not, is there any way he can wiggle out of this? He seems to have, have su- submitted to the idea that this is what he's due. But he does ask if his somebody could go back and tell his family to spare them from coming there. Mm. And I, I love the response uh, of Abraham, who, who he's interacting with. And he says, listen, um, you know, if people won't listen, even if somebody comes back from the dead. So uh, for me to send Lazarus back to tell your family is not going to matter. And I love yeah. the foreshadowing that, like, they're not going to believe even if somebody rises from the dead. Uh, because, of course, Jesus rose from the dead. And you would think at that moment, everybody in the world would turn to him and we would all be Christians henceforth. Uh, you would hope. <laughs> you would hope, and clearly that hasn't happened. And so, and, and literally the 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 day of, yeah, the Sanhedrin's going, okay, we got to cover it up. Yeah, we got to cover, cover up. It up. They, Biggest cover up ever. They came in and they stole the body at night. They're instantly rejecting yeah. what they even know is true. That he did rise again. They're trying to it cover un- it up. It's unbelievable. It's yeah. just unbelievable. And so, actually, you know, when you talk about origins, and we're talking about, you know, does it come from Dante's Divine Comedy, or is it just our own humor, or movies, or whatever? We, you know, actually, I think the origin is Satan himself, mm. who would want to, I mean, his whole goal is deception. And if he could convince us in some way that the Bible is laughable and, and unreliable, 
or that the people who represent Christianity can't be trusted, or even God himself is really just a way that simple people try to explain science, um, you know, then you can just dismiss all of these things. Mm. The harsh reality is what happens when Hebrews uh, chapter 9 reminds us that it's appointed to a man to die once and after that to face judgment. Mm. And so I think about these people like who have gone before us, like a Carl Sagan, who uh, was a very popular scientist and had all these beliefs about um, you know, the universe and how it existed and discounted God completely, who upon his death is immediately standing before the Lord. Mm. and has no answer for, for what he's seen there. And so it is ironic that the, if I could say it this way, uh, the foolish and simple people of the church, as we are thought of mm. sometimes, are the ones who actually have the right answer in this regard. Mm. And uh, so, yeah, I think, I don't know. I don't know how we got off track there, but that's No, that's I think at. that was a great point that you brought up because uh, I remember talking to someone about this, and I think that there's a very um, easy illustration of this in the world right now where you look at the propaganda being put out by Vladimir Putin and the Kremlin about what Ukraine is doing and that it's a neo-Nazi state, mm. that it's run uh, by these Nazi parties and that they're coming in to liberate the Ukrainian people. And there's just so much flagrantly flawed information that's being purposely used to deceive in order to justify their wrongdoings, right. including executions of civilians that are now being uncovered right. and they're saying well that's actually the ukrainians doing that that's not the rush and they're putting out all this false information you see that in a war one side is going to put out false information to try and deceive everyone about what's actually going on and if that's true of a earthly war how much more so would that be true of a spiritual war that the enemy would go i'm going to try and mislead and send out false information about everything that i can to deceive as many as possible so that they're not aware of what i'm actually doing yeah i agree it makes perfect sense and then you start thinking about that and you realize well that makes sense to why the language that's used around these conversations from the lord is arm yourself with the armor of god right and then you have right. the sword of the spirit and the shield of and you have like wow, those are that's that's battlefield terminology, and that there's a war going on, um, and that these things are happening. It makes sense that there would be false information about yeah. what happens at the end of the war, which is guaranteed for one side uh, and the other, and that the Lord will be victorious. And so it makes sense that if He's trying to take as many people with Him as possible, He's going to deceive as many as possible during the fight. And I think it attacks the church as well to mm. get us to think that in some way we've been deceived um, by the book that we hold in our hands. Because if he can't convince us uh, that it's not true, then right. he's going to try and convince us uh, there are parts of it that are unreliable. And of course, if he can get you to the point where you think parts are unreliable, then how mm. long before the whole thing is unreliable? Right. But I think there are other myths that have perpetuated themselves. And so I think when you have somebody who approaches scripture and, and they think about this, that it's something like this. And I, I've heard this argument from somebody else and I forget who it was or I would credit them. Um, but the, we tend to think, that um, that that God is the the greatest you know good that is out there, and that that if God is the greatest good, then the greatest good that He would want for others uh, is for their well being and for mm -hmm. them to be loved and and cared for. And so you know, a great God who is loving like that would never wish upon somebody hell. And so it must be that maybe like you know when Jesus gave His life, that that while hell was going to be an option for some, that now Jesus has somehow superseded that, and so because of His death, all are saved. Mm. And so it doesn't matter in their minds whether you're Muslim or Hindu Whatever, or nothing. You, you could be nothing, you know. Anyway. Uh, yeah, so the idea that Hitler could be in heaven uh, because Jesus died for him. And so, you know, that's just the, the classic argument of, of universalism, just the right. idea that Jesus died, so I'll go. And I've heard, I've heard people argue that even in the church. Um, or uh, annihilationism is another one, that you would have this idea that, that there are people who are just, you know, they, they are burned up, they're consumed with that eternal fire, and they're just, they vanish. And in some ways that puts a salve on our 
conscience that those we love who have passed are not currently suffering. Um, but then, you know, this mm. end up being uh, myths. And I love what John Stott said in his uh, book, Culture in the Bible. And he says, you know, if we come to Scripture with our mind made up, expecting to hear from it only an echo of our own thoughts and never the thunderclap of God's, then indeed he will not speak to us and we shall only be confirmed in our own prejudices. Mm. And so I think the antidote to bind into these myths this this that pollute and poison us is the idea that we do have to be biblically astute. And for me, going back to a, a, an important word, hermeneutics, to have a, mm. not just to read the Bible, but to have a proper understanding of the Bible. And uh, the thing is, there's only one way to correctly read the Bible. You can incorrectly read it in numerous ways, but there's only one correct way. And so that we do need to fight for an interpretation. So, yeah. Mm. Now, on that uh, idea, what are the hermeneutics and what are the the things we can see in Scripture? Is there any support for that idea of hell being where the fun people are or that heaven is where the boring people are? And, like, is there anything that we can see? Because you brought up the story of Lazarus. Where yeah. else do we see in Scripture interactions of people? Um, uh, interactions of people between heaven and hell or? Or at, at any point in, in that. Because it's hard to even fathom. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I think there's a few things I do think about. Uh, when I think about how we would articulate this to people to understand a, a better idea of hell. And I don't know that we see a lot of interaction. We do see interaction between people coming, uh, crossing over from the eternal side to mm. our temporal side. Um, and so we see that in the Old Testament, there are some theophanies where people show up. Uh, the old, Samuel shows back up, the prophet who had deceased and, and comes yeah. back and speaks. Um, and in the New Testament, I love the Mount, Mount of Transfiguration, where you've got these guys who right. are like, hey, you guys are supposed to be dead. You know, yeah. <laughs> what are you what are you doing here? Yeah, so Jesus <laughs> hanging out with Moses and Elijah. Just yeah. like, all right, all right, what's happening? And uh, so you do see uh, some of that, which is an indication of, mm-hmm. of what's to come. But you don't ever see somebody uh, who has gone to uh, hell other than the rich man uh, where you get a peek into what's going on there. But, I mean, Scripture does talk about, like, a great white throne judgment and about mm-hmm. how we all stand, and there's this big judgment according to works. But the judgment according to works uh, is never for salvation uh, by way of those who are being judged and condemned um, and that it does seem that subsequently there is some sort of judgment for works for those who are saved, mm. uh, that we get into heaven because of the grace of Christ, but then there is some measuring of how we lived our lives. I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 3 mm-hmm. uh, where it talks about that. So um, we do see some of that. I don't know if that answers your question, but I think— No, it, it does, and I think that what's—going back to what you said earlier is, you know, with the, the, the quotes where, you know, you see hell being used— um, with fire as the analogy of what's going on there because it's destructive, it's painful, it's eternal. You know, if it's lit, it, it can go on forever. Right. And you see that it draws a picture of something horrific. Right. That probably can't be put into human language right. because it's a supernatural occurrence. Yeah. What's the language used to describe heaven? Uh, in scripture. Oh, we're doing a little twist here. So, <laughs> so you know, one thing I love about the description of heaven, and I, here's the thing I would say this, the Bible is particularly non-descriptive of what awaits us except by generic terms. Mm. And I, I do think this, if I could just, just to speak openly between you, me, and the, the 20 people that will watch this. Um, Amen. <laughs> the, the thing about heaven is, you're, it's called paradise. I love that because that's mm. what he says to the thief on the 
cross. I tell you, this day you'll be with me in paradise. But you don't get a description of what that paradise looks like. Now, there are yeah. some things you do hear about. I mean, you can read a description in Revelation, towards the end of Revelation, when you get to 19 and 20, you can see these pictures of um, this beautiful city that awaits mm-hmm. us and, and these jewels and gems and, and streets of gold. And you get things like that about the, the heavenly city of the New Jerusalem. Uh, and you hear there's going to be a recreated heavens and, and earth. Uh, and, and by that, you know, sky and, and stars right. and all that. Like the whole thing gets redone. So you see some pictures of that. But you don't get a really descriptive picture of what it's going to be like. And I think the reason is, um, like, first of all, it's enough. You should just trust God. Paradise is paradise. And his vision of paradise is way better than your vision of paradise. Right. And so it's let's just say that it's how God views paradise. And so that should be enough for you. Uh, but I do think this. I think if it was too descriptive, then I think you could actually run a danger of people who are like, just I'm checking out of this life and mm. I'm just done and I want out. So it reminds me of this story. of So my dad had this uncle, his uncle Hal, and uh, uncle Hal had a horrible life. He just did. You know, he's one of those guys who where life just was just tough. Mm. Now he made some of it tough on himself, but um, you know, just life was really hard for him. And then when he died, he died bitter and angry and he was just ready to get out of this world. Here's the thing though, that you've, if you don't take the Lord seriously, you think you're escaping from something and actually you're heading into something far worse Mm. uh, when you don't understand that that hell is that consequence for those who don't uh, put their faith in Christ. Um, And the ironic thing to me in this, and people who would look at God as some sort of um, taskmaster or evil tyrant in Mm. this, you have to think about what God's offering you here. It's like God says, okay, come to me and I will offer you forgiveness for all of your sins through the sacrifice of my son Jesus for you on the cross. Put your faith in him. And then as a result, I'm going to bless your life and make it better. Like, like that's, that's just a normal thing that happens. Your sins are forgiven. You start living in a different way. The way you live produces different results in your life, and it just, it just ends up better. Now, it's not that you don't ever suffer uh, or go through difficulties. or right. you know, I mean, you're still, there's just so moments of that. But, but he promises you, I will be with you in this life. This life will be better, and in the next life you'll have paradise. Mm. Like, there's no part of that that says to me, what a tyrant. I can't believe he would ever <laughs> do that. And look at the evidence of Christians. While some people will condemn them, you know, for the handful of hypocritical people that are out there. And by the way, let's just say people who aren't in the church are way more hypocritical. But look at the things the church does. Mm. We build schools. We build hospitals. We feed the hungry. We shelter the homeless. I mean, like there is no end to the good things that we yeah. do. As people. So people who would look at this as some sort of tyrannical God, I would be like, I'm not sure you've mm. read the Bible. I'm not sure you've looked yeah. at his people. I'm not sure you've been a part of his church. So then when you get the idea of hell, then really as a perspective of those who've rejected the Lord, you can see like you have rejected so much good mm. that why don't you just head to the place where all of the evil people collect? Now, but, but the idea that they're together, one of the things about scriptures, you never in scripture see a reference to people who are collected together mm. in hell. Lazarus isn't in a crowd. No, he's yeah. not. Everybody re- reflected in that idea is in isolation. To some mm. regard, there, it's it's isolation. There's also the mention of darkness. So I was talking to a fellow one time, and he was saying um, the descriptions of hell can't be real because it mentions both flame and darkness, and those two can't coexist. And uh, of course, uh, he got us. <laughs> so I said, well, my comment was, you could throw a blind man in a fire, uh, mm. so they can coexist. But but I would say this, like. If you're to say, and his point was, it's obviously a metaphor for something else. Yeah. I was like, that, that's fine. You can say that if you'd like. I don't know. I think it's way too prevalent and descriptive. Mm. But, but, it, but if you're going to say it's a, a represents something else, you're trying to argue for a kinder version mm. of hell. But if, you're, but if you're using as imagery 
flames and torment and torture. Like, what is that descriptive of then? If that's just supposed to give you an inclination, and so I would say this: let's not let's not mess with that. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't we submit ourselves to this God who is extraordinarily good, though He is confusing. He is so confusing by some of the things, um, but you know, and knowing that He wants our well-being anyway. So, mm. yeah. and I, I love in Scripture when you see. Um, the descriptions of people in heaven or what heaven will be like mm. the the feast imagery mm, yeah. is massive yeah, so yeah. so feasting isaiah says he's prepared the fortified wine for us which mm. is you know the best wine that you can make on earth right. is the kind of thing that he just has around sure you know <laughs> yeah. and and so you think and then you think of that in light of the lazarus story him just begging for a drop of water and then you think of the abundant feast yeah for the ones in heaven and, and then never the, ending repeated as often as it's just incredible. What, yeah, and, yeah. and then that the, the very streets are, you know, paved with gold, you know, you know, famous from revelation, that, sure. that idea of, you yeah. know, and pearly gates and, yeah. you know, all this wonderful, beautiful imagery yeah. for what heaven is. Right. And you then see, so you see the imagery of what's around it and then the people in it are worshiping. Yeah. And if you've ever worshiped in your life, Oh my if you've ever yeah. had a taste of what yeah. is good yeah. and seen what is good, whether it's in a corporate setting in a church or whether it's even in God's creation right. by seeing something magnificent and you think, gosh, that feeling forever, yeah, that's incredible. And yeah. you see this huge difference all of a sudden that, you know, huge shocker, the world's got it flipped, flipped around. Right. Right. That heaven is actually filled with the people who are having the most enjoyable time and the That's most right. fun time and the most incredible time. And hell is filled with the people who are having the most miserable time. That's right. And isolated time. And, and you know, um, that idea of just a saint on a cloud with a harp, you know, forever. Yeah. Sounds almost more like hell. <laughs> <laughs> it does. And I don't know where that one came from yeah. in, in, in particular. <laughs> I mean, you know, here's the thing. If somebody, because somebody said to me one time, what if that's all heaven was? I was like, well... It's still not hell. So, like, if that's if that was what it was, I would take it all day. But, you know, obviously it's going to be nothing like that. And I tell people, too, I say, you know, when the Lord creates, you know, because it says he's going to remake the heavens and the earth. Mm. And so he's going to remake the sky and the, the stars and the, the moon and the atmosphere and all that kind of stuff. And he's going to remake the earth itself. Like, this idea is, you know, when God pictures creation, he pictures this. I mean, you know, mountains and trees and streams mm-hmm. and all that. And we all have some sort of idyllic vision of, of that here on Earth. Because there are, there are places on Earth where, uh, whether it's by cultivation or just natural existence, is absolutely breathtakingly beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, but we know the rest of creation has been marred uh, by our sin and the destruction that we've brought on the world. Well, so then a perfected world that is in a permanent state of perfection that we have not fouled up, cannot foul up, uh, where everything, uh, trees grow straight, uh, weeds don't pollute your lawn, you know, whatever it is, I don't know, you know, streams are, are beautiful, like, I don't, yeah. but just a whole world of that, mm. like, that is a picture of whole eternity. I, like, like a Man, whole, yeah. yeah, and so every planet, you know, is, is as it should be, um, no more death, no disease, uh, no, no more tears, no more tears. Like that in itself Mm. is a description. Like I'm in for that place. Uh, no more deceit and you know, all these kinds of things. And so like the pictures of heaven versus the picture of hell are so drastic that, I mean, if it were, if people were doing this on a logic basis, obviously you would choose heaven. But I think what people want here on earth, and this is, goes back to the myth of the fun people thing. What they want here on earth is this idea that I can live however I want without consequence. Mm. And, that's just that's just not a program that God offers. Um, there's just nothing like that. And and the idea, like the thief on the cross, that was abnormal. 
that like the guy who at the last moment of his life says, mm. I, I get it now. I was a fool. Lord, forgive me and has received and taken, you know, like most people don't get, get to pick their day of death. You know, they just don't know that it's coming. Yeah. And so the person who says, well, cause I had a friend of mine say this to me now, uh, we, this was back in college. So we were in college and I was talking to him because he was a party guy and I had just kind of gotten radically saved walking with the Lord. And I said to him, you know, you need to really think about how you're living. Like this, this life is not going to produce what you mm. want. And he told me, he said, I have the rest of my life to live for the Lord. Right now I'm going to live for me. All right. So now we fast forward 30 years. All right. So more than double that time in my life. Uh, that guy still lives in a very similar way. And mm. I'm just thinking, you know, how long does that sustain you? And then, you know, when you do pass from this earth, you know, what, what, then, what did you gain from all of that? Um, and so, and, and here's the thing too, this, uh, this myth that, you know, these people are all having fun and we're somehow having the, like, mm. we're actually having more fun. Uh, if you want to talk about the Christian side, the, the church side, yeah. uh, and our fun is not defined by that, that hour or so we go to church on a Sunday morning. Mm. Like, like I, I lay my head on my pillow at night in peace you know, I am right with God. I am right with the world. Now I'm still growing. I'm still learning a lot. I don't consider myself to be better than anyone else. I just want everybody to have the same kind of life mm -hmm. and experience where, you know, I have relationships where, you know, we're friends. We take care of each other. We sacrifice for one another. My mm -hmm. family's that way. My friends are that way. And um, so I like, I have a better version of life going on than so many others who, who live in constant turmoil. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, so I mean, it's everything's actually the opposite—the the the fun and the cool. But but by the world's definition of fun, if you define fun as um, you know whatever kind of excess that mm -hmm. you want it to be, um, then I, I would say you could take the same kind of categories and apply them to how we use the word good. So like if we say, well, a good person is somebody who allows others to be whoever they want to be. Um, a good person is somebody that doesn't interfere with the way somebody else lives. Uh, a good person is generally nice to, you know, animals uh, and, and people and, you know, like, well, then that would mean then that heaven's also going to be full of what we would call good people as well. Uh, good by our definition, not good mm. by God's definition. Um, because there is a distinction between the two. God has a version of goodness that we don't maybe think of as good. Yeah. And we have a version of good that he doesn't think of as good. Um, right. And since he's our ultimate judge, we want to make sure we submit to that understanding and not our own. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think one of the best quotes I've heard about this and kind of that almost topsy-turvy mentality, and like you're saying, that the, the different value sets is it can be described as this world is the closest a believer will ever get to hell. But for the non-believer, it is the closest they'll ever get to heaven. Mm, yeah. And you just realize what a different experience, right. what a different value set. And I think that that's incredibly important to remember where it's like, this world is awful. Mm. And yeah. non-believer can recognize that, that right. it's broken and messed up and corrupt. And then to look say, yeah, this is the best it ever gets right. for you, yeah. unfortunately. But if you're looking for something more, this could be the worst that it ever gets. Yeah. And well, even you, that is bearable with what Paul says, right? Yeah. For me to live as Christ, to die is gain. Not that he's looking for it, but he understands if it is to happen, right. I know what's awaiting me, and I'm content with that, and I'm thankful for my Savior because I know it is good because he's good. Right. And you get these moments where you have a picture of the goodness of God. They get a picture of the goodness of, of life when you go on that great vacation or you're in that uh, beautiful spot mm. uh, or you've got this a special relationship with somebody that is, that's really fulfilling to you. Like you get these these glimpses of how the world was supposed to be. Uh, and then the rest of it is just a brokenness. And here's the thing, too. It's so easy to recognize the brokenness of the world and the people around me about this person's a mess, that person's a mess, and that kind of makes you uh, isolate yourself and, and stay away from other people or whatever it may be. 
Uh, but the thing is, you also are a mess, and that's mm. something that's hard to, to reconcile. And again, that's another reason Jesus came, was he fixes the mess inside of us and, mm. and puts us on a trajectory to, to grow through that. Uh, but yeah, I just I think the whole idea of this whole you know fun people in hell, it's just a myth. There's a number of myths out there. One of them I would even draw attention to is the myth of purgatory. And mm. I, I think it's worth bringing up because yeah. um, this idea that there's almost a second chance you know, yeah, a middle ground. There's a kind. there's a middle ground that is like I've been a pretty good person, but not great, and so not good enough yet. Yeah, not good I have enough to, yet. You know, spend my time here for a while. The, yeah, so in the, the waiting room. <laughs> that's right. So the idea of purgatory, which is not biblical, by the way, it's not biblical. Uh, and so if you were to ask me where do I find purgatory in the Bible, you don't. Um, now, so purgatory is, is a is a creation of more of the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. and uh, there is this thought that Saint Patrick had some sort of vision. Uh, where God gave him some clarity about purgatory. It was already kind of firmly in place by the time Dante had written his um, uh, his uh, Divine Comedy right. because it's actually one of the chapters in their uh, Purgatorio or whatever it is, that, this idea of an explanation of what's going on there. Um, and the idea of, of purgatory, which is so ironic to me, is it's not about punishment, it's about perfection. That is, you've been, you've been bad enough that you need to have some judgment for that, but you can kind of work that off. And then when you kind of work that off, then you could be good enough to go into heaven. Well, thank goodness I can just work it off. I know, just work it <laughs> off. So here's here's the thing. So it, what part of the death of Jesus Christ, uh, offering himself as a substitute for my mm. sin, was insufficient that I've got to help him to make up for that? You know, mm. like like Jesus, yeah, thanks, thanks for dying. But there was a part of that that you, even you couldn't cover. Wasn't good enough. That's right. And if I work real hard, like th- that is, so that's why I don't, first of all, purgatory, uh, besides the fact that it's not real, the thing that really bothers me is it takes too lightly mm-hmm. uh, the the substitutionary atonement of Christ, and you cannot in any way atone for your sin. I just it just yeah. does not work, and so that's why I think purgatory is an issue. Uh, it's been perpetuated by um, some of the Catholic writings, and also uh, it shows up in the Catholics have extra books in their Bible that we call the Apocrypha. Right, uh, the Apocrypha is not considered canon. Uh, in the the historical church, it's in the, in the historical Catholic church. It is, um, and the idea of the I was talking to somebody about this. They're like, well, you know, Catholics were first, then Protestants came along. Well, like actually, no, the Catholics weren't even there until about three hundred some right. AD uh, when they formalized the system, and then you know it became what it became. And the idea of the Reformation was to reform back uh, to a more pure right. understanding to the early and, church. But I would say this: I'm not dogging Catholics. That's not my point. My point right. is this: that that purgatory is not a real place, and we don't want to take lightly the sacrifice of Christ. Mm. Absolutely. And I, th- I think on that conversation where, you know, if we have any Catholic listeners where it's that idea of in the doctrine is the teaching and history of the church is as uh, authoritative as scripture itself, that, yeah. that the historical teachings of the church are held to the same level as scripture. And that's where we want to look at it of the historical scriptures and say, what have we confessed mm-hmm. that Christ's sacrifice is enough? period. And yeah. just like you said, to, to look at Christ, I mean, that's an excruciating image to look at Christ on the cross and go, you know what? Not quite. Yeah. Not quite Jesus. Well, then that's where we do have to be careful. And I, I do think, again, as you rightly point out, that Catholics do hold tradition on par with scripture. We would not. We would just say scripture is sufficient, mm-hmm. that our traditions don't add to it. In fact, some of our traditions are just wrong and need to be dealt with. Um, but yeah, that, that what does the Bible actually say? And to me, that's always where you end up. What does the Bible actually say? Um, here's here's a I want to read this quote to you because I think this is really important as well. This comes from Ezekiel chapter thirty three verse eleven. As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, mm. but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? 
And so I just love this idea that like God's out there going, wait, you know, you don't, I don't want you to live this way. I don't, I don't want you to suffer an eternity apart from me. Like I want to be with you. Like I've, mm-hmm. I've, I've, I created you. I love you. I've tried to redeem you, uh, but you have to put your faith in me. Then Isaiah chapter 55 verses six through nine, uh, which says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my Mm. thoughts than your thoughts. And so I love this picture of, you know, how God really wants to redeem us. He wants to rescue us. He is pursuing us. And yet we are so obstinate. We are so difficult. And you know, it's funny, like there's a part of you that's like, well, how can we be that way? And then you have some children and you're like, (laughs) however we, I see it. I see it all the time. So I don't know how we got here other than sin, of course, but uh, yeah, but I've, I've seen it lived out. So yeah, it's a it's a it's a real weird contrast of the mercy of God that He is pursuing us actively, mm. and yet when we reject, 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 ultimately we conf- we're confirmed in that rejection, and we spend yeah. eternity apart from Him. And He hands us over, and that's I think one of the great things that Paul points out. He says the wages of sin is death. That's right. A wage is something you earned. You put in the hours. You clocked in. You <laughs> yeah. clocked out. That's right. Here's that's your right. paycheck. This is what right. you deserve. But the free gift, an undeserved, incredible thing brought by God through Jesus Christ for us is life yeah, and life everlasting. And Jesus even says, life in the fullest, even on earth. You know, I've come to bring life and life in the fullest. Right. And I think that, that, you know, we should just take him seriously at his word yeah, and, and, and trust him with that. And so as we wrap this up, what, what would you say to someone who's maybe struggling with this concept, who's, who's really critically thinking about it for the first time? What's something you would want them to kind of walk away from as, as a big point here? Yeah. So, um, so again, go back to I go back to Second Peter three nine, which I, I paraphrased earlier. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises, as some count slowness. He is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, uh, but that all should come to repentance. Mm-hmm. And so I, I would say this: like if somebody's really confused about like the idea of hell, I would say, well, first of all, like you don't have to get so caught up in that because mm-hmm. you should be much more concerned with God, what God does want for you. And the fact that you're still alive and breathing now means you still have a choice to make and you can still put your faith in Jesus right now. So right now, wrestling through this, you are in a moment of hope. You can choose hope and this hope is in Christ. And if you put your faith and your hope in Christ, um, then not only will your life be so much better on this earth, but you have paradise waiting on you uh, still on the other side of this world. And so my encouragement would be this, that, that you have to have a proper understanding of truth. So you need to study the Bible well and of course, then I would say, well, you need to get involved in a good church and, you know, right. and find out, you know, how to do that and, and get some good information, make sure you're reading good authors. Um, but then ultimately, you've really got to put your faith in Christ. And then you never even have to worry about this idea of hell. And when people really struggle with these concepts of how could God and what could God and blah, 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 I just, okay, stop for a second. Do you think that God is smarter than you or dumber than you? Mm. And I think everybody would say, well, he's probably smarter than me. Okay, so then why are you questioning what he's doing? So the idea is this. It's not how could a loving God send people to hell? That's not the question. The question is, why would a loving God send people to hell? Mm, Yeah. The the idea is I already assume that he's a loving God, so I'm just wondering why. And if I try to explain it to you or you read the scripture and you just don't really understand it, I go back to that Isaiah 55 passage. God's like, hey, my thoughts and my ways are higher than yours, so because you know that I'm smarter than you, I just need you to trust me in this. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think uh, for our listeners who, you know, are hearing this and thinking, you know, I want to talk to my friends about, I think it's important to remember uh, the passage, you know, if we have truth, but we don't have love, then we're just a resounding gong. And this is a very touchy subject. Oh, sure. 
because we're talking about the eternal eternal destinations of people. Oh yeah, and no one likes hearing that they're going to hell. Well, no yeah. one likes that. When I was a teenager going to rock concerts, there would always be these guys holding these signs, going, "You're going to hell! You're going mm, to hell!" Turn you know, or burn. Yeah, turn or burn. Like, it wasn't about the concert. You're like, like yeah. that's, the, that's the you don't go to hell because of a concert. You, you know, there's much bigger stuff at stake. Um, and the thing is, then it, it kind of for me as a young man made the church a bit of a laughing stock, mm. and those type of people a bit of a laughing stock. But then I realized that ultimately. They have their own version of foolishness, those those people did, uh, but there's a reality, there's a truth, and the truth is there's this very compassionate and loving God, but if we don't submit to his will, there is a very dark consequence. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for uh, talking to us, with us, about this subject. It is a great conversation to have, and I know I, I certainly grew from it, and I think that our listeners will as well. And thank you for your wisdom and your time on the show. Amen. Glad to be here. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you for tuning in to this production from Sandhills Media Ministry. This episode was produced and hosted by John Dabeck. Audio mixing and camera work by Sean Wigner. Post-production by Eric Wigner. Special thanks to our guest and lead pastor, Jeff Philpott. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us through liking, subscribing, and sharing with a friend on social media. It does more than you know to fuel this project. If you'd like to know more about Sandhills or if you'd like to join us on a Sunday, you can do so at sandhillschurch.org. If you liked our song, it's Same Blood Instrumental by King's Kaleidoscope.